This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. How much progress have we made on race relations since George Floyd's death? I am a Latina living in Dallas, Texas. I'm white. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and I live in Washington, D.C. I'm black. I'm from Southwest Michigan. I'm an Indian Jamaican living in the United States for the last 25 years. I'm a black man from Inglewood, California. The voices of our listeners. Coming up in this episode of Colors. One of network television's best-known personalities opens up about a very ugly string of racial slurs in public. I was headed back to Atlanta, so I was walking through the airport, and the first thing that happened was an older gentleman, as I was walking past him, stopped, looked at me, took off his mask, and said to me, Ni hao, ching chong. And as bad as that one was, that's not it. As CNN's Amara Walker walked through Louis Armstrong Airport in New Orleans, there were more within a span of one hour. Listen, to, to be honest, I haven't gotten these kinds of ignorant, hateful remarks in years. And the fact that it happened to me three times in one day, we're in an environment where people feel like it's okay to be vocal about their racist views. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. You know, Chris, we got a great one lined up today. Yeah. So let's get right to it. Amara Walker is with us. She is a correspondent for CNN, and something really bad happened to her uh, some time ago. And she wrote a piece, and in that piece, she said bad things happen in threes. It was about a day in the airport in New Orleans. She's with us now, and Amara, thank you for joining us, but would you tell us about those bad things that happened in threes that day? Just set the scene for us, and I've got a few questions I'd like to ask on the other side. Yeah, you know, and and I wanted to start by saying that I don't think I would have ever gone public about what had happened to me if it happened only once or maybe even twice in one day, but the fact that it happened back to back to back really compelled me and honestly angered me to speak out. Um, So I was at the New Orleans airport. I had just finished covering a hurricane for CNN and uh, I was headed back to Atlanta. So I was walking through the airport and the first incident that happened was an older gentleman as I was walking past him, stopped, looked at me, took off his mask and said to me, ni hao, ching chong. Um, Wow. And, you know, this has happened to me before. So you know, I, what I typically do is I just walk away from the situation. I don't, you know, I, I try not to address the, the issue and I just keep walking usually, but, and I did. So I walked away. Um, I was upset the more I thought about it, 
it hasn't happened to me in a while. So it just, it, it started to really upset me the more I thought about it. I got to my gate, into security to my gate and my producer is sitting next to me and he's like, what's, what's going on with you? You look really angry. And I said, well, you won't believe what happened. I described to him what had happened. And within the next few minutes, a young man comes up to me um, without his mask on and mm. says to me, do you speak English? <laughs> and I was already kind of rubbed up. So I got quite defensive and I said, well, what makes you think I don't speak English? And then he started to, you know, make these funny noises. It sounded like he was trying to, you know, speak an Asian language. And then that's when I got upset. I told him, you know, to, to get away from me because number one, he wasn't wearing a mask. Um, and he was loud enough that the people around me, um, there were two gentlemen who ended up standing up and asking him to leave to stop harassing me. Then my producer uh, walked away, got security. And the third incident that happened is when the police officer arrived and he asked me what happened. I described what happened. And then um, my producer, who was just disturbed by everything, um, he's a white man. And, I, and he told me, gosh, I didn't know this is the kinds of things that you guys go through. Hmm. Um, and he was angry for me and said, you won't, you won't believe what happened. And they were yelling racial things at her. And um, the cop looked upset. He approached my producer face to face and raised his voice and said, that is not racist. If, just because someone asked her if she speaks English and made those noises, that does not make them racist. Do you understand me? So he, he said in a very uh, intimidating way. Uh -huh. And my producer and I kind of backed down and they proceeded to, you know, catch up with this young man who was harassing me. Um, and the people around me had heard what happened. They saw the whole thing and everyone was flabbergasted as to why the police officer reacted in this way, intimidating us rather than trying to quell the situation. So it was, it was very disappointing. You know, this is, as you said before, one or two uh, incidents, maybe you can deal with that. Be difficult to deal with it. But to be frank about it, we shouldn't have to deal with that. But then a third incident and the officer of the law himself mm -hmm. saying what he said suggests to you that maybe I'm not here for you. Maybe I'm not here to help you. Maybe I'm just here to do my job and maybe I'm just here to deal with this knucklehead, but I'm not really interested in what you think is racist. And that is, to me, the wrong sign to send. To a person. It was, it, I mean, it was shocking that he would inject his opinion into a situation when, first of all, he wasn't there. And I, I just didn't understand his anger. Yeah. And I didn't understand that he, that he was so convinced that what had happened to me wasn't racist. Without hearing the full story, I kind of gave him a synopsis. And it, it was just this quick and angry reaction that really threw me for a loop. Yeah. So what do you think drove the behavior of all three of them? First of all, the, the first guy and then the second guy and then, of course, the police officer. What do you think drove their behavior? Well, I, you know, the first two guys, I think a lot of it was ignorance. I wouldn't, you know, I don't want, I don't like throwing around the word racism so loosely. You know, I don't know that if they were inspired by hate or, um, you know, they felt superior to me in some way. I, 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 felt, I, I feel like sometimes 
these microaggressions against us Asians are not, or oftentimes are not talked about. And hence, it continues to happen. You know, when I went public with this, I, I got hundreds upon hundreds of emails from Asian Americans all across the country saying, thank you so much for speaking out about these microaggressions. This happens to me all the time. I was on the playground with my children and a you know, gentleman you know, said, arigato, you know, lady, and uh, what, where are you from? You know, what country are you from? And, you know, he wasn't being racist, but the fact that they think we don't belong, they automatically assume that we don't belong. And this happens all the time. It's happened to me many times. And I, I can venture to say, you can ask any Asian American in this country, 90% of the time, they will tell you that they have been subjected to some kind of ignorant mm-hmm. or racist yeah. or discriminatory hateful rhetoric from somebody in their lives before, whether they were teased on the playground as a 10 year old or mocked in some way and as adults, it it, it happens way too often. And I think it's because we as Asian Americans need to speak up more, which I don't think there's enough of that. And I'm guilty of it as well. I, I never really spoke up about it. I just let it happen. You know, I would just roll my eyes. And the more that it happened, I said, no, I have a voice why don't I turn around and ask them why they think it's okay to say this and make it a learning moment and tell them what you said to me is wrong because you're assuming I don't belong. I'm not American because of the way I look. Yeah. You know, this is the time, this is the time to do what you did. And there are other people that agree wholeheartedly with you. We have two friends um, that have been on this program. One of them is, uh, Sue Ann Lee, who's our colleague here at WTOP, who told us a very similar story about her being in the supermarket with her kids when somebody suggested that they didn't belong here, go back to wherever, mm-hmm. you know. And then mm-hmm. there's a story. And, you know, actually, we've learned a lot doing this program as well, um, specifically about how Asians throughout the history of this country have been marginalized, uh, even mm-hmm. after being very significant um, components, um, each each and every one individ- individually in the building of this nation, you know, back during the, the, the years when the railroad was built. Exactly. You know, and then right after that, they were they were they were ostracized. There was a situation during World War Two. Many Asians were 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 uh, put in internment camps. This mm-hmm. is a situation that African-Americans have gone through from day one. But I want to ask you a really quick question. Have you mm. noticed an increase in this kind of behavior since the COVID-19 pandemic started? Short answer is yes. I say that because, listen, to, to be honest, I haven't gotten these kinds of ignorant, hateful remarks in years. And the fact that it happened to me three times in one day, the last time this, something like this happened to me is, was when I first moved to Atlanta seven years ago. Um, and I feel like we live in a time where not only is it are we super polarized, but I feel like that we we're we're in an environment where people feel like it's okay to be vocal about their racist views. And I've experienced that. Yeah. I was reading a piece that you wrote, and um, I grew up just a few miles from Richmond. Uh, and I was reading about your parents' story, and it must have been tough for them because I can tell you for sure Virginia has some very, very, very ugly racist history. Mm. 
And growing up in Virginia, I certainly witnessed my fair share of that. I'm wondering, what do you think it would take to change this whole process around right now? I mean, you know, we've had George Floyd. We've had Ahmaud Arbery. We've had Breonna Taylor. And no disrespect to any of the names that I've forgotten, but we've had so many African-Americans who've died at the hands of police officers who uh, were clearly outside of the law and clearly not thinking properly, as I think was the case with the officer that you encountered in, I think it was Louis Armstrong Airport, right? Yes, it was. So, uh, you know, what do you think it would take to change the calculus of these people? I think civil discourse is, is so important. I think the fact that you're having me on to talk about this and that there's a discussion about it is raising awareness about my experience as an Asian American in America. I think there are different Americas that we experience experience depending on the color of our skin. So I experience America much differently than you do, or my husband does, who is white, or you know one of my best friends who is black does. And we don't know what I go through or you go through on a daily basis unless we talk about it. And when I talk about my experiences with my close fr- my non-Asian close friends, they're all shocked. What? This happens to you? People still make comments about your eyes mm-hmm. or, or, or they'll actually, you know, take the gesture and, and slant their eyes a certain direction. Are you, this really happens? And, and so when you tell people, I think the, the raising the awareness, it sounds so cliche, but it, I think when people understand a little bit of, of what you might go through on a regular basis, then I think that could start changing, you know, the way people talk about other races or to people of other color. Mm-hmm. One of the things my, co- my co-host Chris Core has asked me about as far as the police goes is what would I do if a police officer, um, if I saw a police officer um, stop me someplace? And, mm. and, and I, I said to him, it depends on where I am, you know? Um, and I think I'd be negligent in not giving it a thought, depending on where I am, because of the time we live in, because of the polarization that you mentioned earlier, but also because of the pressure on people right now to fit into various boxes. And some of these police officers are doing really dumb things are responding in part to pressure of peers uh, and responding some perhaps to their own inner demons. But one of the things that's really, really important and it's really kind of difficult to me is to always have to think, can I go there? Should I go there? And and am I going to be okay if I go there? What time of day can I go? What time of night can I not go? Do you find yourself thinking that way about where you go? I mean, obviously, as as a female, sadly, sadly, in this country, you you have to do that um, just for your own safety. But um, do you find yourself thinking about that from a racial perspective now? No, I, I wouldn't say I would say no, not as much. I think for me, I was always deliberate whenever I would walk into a room or be in a new environment. This is when I was younger, mm-hmm. that I would make it obvious to people by speaking English loudly so that people would automatically hear my accent, which is an American accent because I was born and raised here, that, and, and they would immediately know that I was American. Um, that, was, that, that was the most, I guess, uh, aware of my race 
that I was, mm-hmm. was, you know, when I was younger, I, I became very aware of, of how different I was. And I felt like I had to announce whenever I would walk into a situation or a room uh, to people that, hey, I'm American and I do speak English. Mm-hmm. Have you, by chance, heard anything from the folks at the airport? in New Orleans, uh, an apology or the police there? Have you ever heard anything from them? Uh, great question. Thank you for asking that. Yes. Uh, via Twitter, um, the mayor, uh, Latoya Cantrell, tweeted at me and apologized. Um, and so did the airport. And, and I, I do want to make clear that this has nothing to do with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I, this, is, this could have happened anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happened to ha- you know occur at this particular airport. And they did say that they would investigate and I have yet to hear any updates. I'm interested as well um, to know from you today, um, have you, you said you've heard from people, Have has everything been positive that you've heard from people about this? No. <laughs> give, us a sense of, give us a sense of the rest of it. Um, oh, gosh, okay. Um, I've had some, there were a few people who reached out to me who said um, my who basically minimized my experience and said, "Well, you don't know what you know we African Americans go through in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, yours is not nearly you know you, you don't have to worry about driving a car, being pulled over and killed." And listen, I get it. We all experience racism in very different ways. I spoke out about my experience. Um, not to minimize anyone else's experience in America. I just wanted to put my story out there to say, hey, we Asian Americans as well, we experience racism in probably a very different way than other people of color do. Mm-hmm. But I consider myself a person of color. And I, I'm with you. I'm with, yeah. you know, my black, my brown, all my friends, I'm with you. You know, and we need to join together instead of, having division within minority groups, we should all come together and support each other's causes. Black Lives Matter, you know, and and, and other causes and and, and come together as one voice. Let's not attack the other and say, well, my experience is worse or better than yours. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to say, you know, what you go through is much less egregious. It probably isn't. But, um, you know, let's... Those are the, I got some hateful comments. It was the minority. I mean, there was maybe out of the hundreds that I got, I probably received maybe a dozen messages yeah. like that. Well, let me just tell you this. Uh, you know, racism, it's not its not a one-way street. There are lots of different people of different backgrounds running that road. You know, um, mm-hmm. there are people of all colors. And nobody has the right to tell you that your experience doesn't measure up, that this isn't your time. And anybody that tells you that is is wrong. They're, 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 they're flat wrong, and they have no right to tell you that. And part of the reason why we wanted to reach out to you is because everyone's story is important. This is a non-judgmental place, uh, and we understand that, you know, racists come in all colors. America has been racked for the last few years by a situation where this kind of behavior has been championed dog whistles situations where people like the proud boys and other groups that are involved in, in, in racist behavior have used the time in the last few years to fan the flames of hatred. 
And I'm wondering what your thoughts are right now as we are moving out of one presidential administration into another and what may be an opportunity for change. I feel like a lot of damage was done when leaders use the term the China virus or the quote unquote Kung flu, which I find extremely offensive. And that resulted in so many verbal and physical attacks against my fellow Asian Americans across the country. I have done so many interviews, including with a Hollywood actor who is Chinese. He played one of the roles in Mulan, Chi Ma, Mm -hmm. who told me over the phone that he was walking. This is in Los Angeles, too, of all places. He was walking in a the parking lot of a grocery store when someone yelled some racial epithet at him related to coronavirus or all Asians harboring some kind of virus and bringing it to this country. I had emails from people after my New Orleans airport incident. One lady emailed me and said she was on the playground with her children when a man drove by and said, get the heck out of this country with your COVID babies. Um, It's not okay. And I feel like this is the kind of rhetoric, the hate rhetoric that divides us and inspires acts of hate or words of hate. And I hope that we can move into a new era of openness and awareness um you you know not every there's so many stereotypes um that are i feel like are being dredged up um from hundreds of years ago of asians harboring viruses um and and you know i I, and here here we are dealing with that i mean i can tell you myself i remember when the virus first hit yeah um my husband, who's a physician, said, "You should we, let's just start wearing masks. This was in March and April. And I said, this is before, you know, masks became a thing. And I said, there is no way that I'm going to start wearing a mask in public when no one else is as an Asian American. Because I was afraid that if I'm walking down the street with my Asian children, you know, I would be subjected to something, hate or some kind of attack just by the fact that I'm wearing a mask, which would perpetuate the idea that I have COVID. So I'm hoping and praying that as we move into, you know, the future and as we get this vaccine, that, you know, we will all become a bit more aware of, of you know, where this virus is and, and how, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not fair to blame an entire race for one virus. Yeah, brilliant. Amara, is there anything that you'd like to add before we go that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'm so grateful to be to have this platform with you. I think there are so many racial conversations to be had. And I think the more transparent we are about our experiences, the more we talk about it. I think that is truly the beginning of, um, of bringing us together and helping us understand each other. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. I'm just uh, sad my uh, partner on the program, Chris Kaur, is not here with us because uh, he would have had some 
really great things to say and to share with you, but you uh, rest assured he will hear it. And um, we are greatly, greatly benefited by your presence on this program. And we wish you the best as you continue to do what you do and continue to lift up your Asian culture and everything else that you are, your American culture, and just do what you do, setting this big example for a lot of people right now. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're listening to Colors. Hello, my name is Cindy Falk. I am a white woman and I live in Cooperstown, New York. When I was a child, my family moved from upstate New York, not too far from where I live now, to Northern Virginia outside of Washington, DC. We left a place that was predominantly white for our new home in a diverse neighborhood. I had neighbors who were Iranian, Vietnamese, and African-American. It was an eye-opening experience as a kid to know people from so many different places and with so many different backgrounds and family histories. At one point in middle school, I remember being embarrassed to say that my paternal grandfather was from a part of Europe that was then incorporated in the Soviet Union. He was Russian, which in the 1980s was not a popular thing to be. It did not dawn on me at that time that other students in the class might also be uncomfortable talking about their own family's backgrounds. I now live back in upstate New York, once again in a predominantly white community. Cooperstown is more than 96% white. As a mother and professor, I am often aware of how much our community lacks because we are so racially homogenous. I have tried to make sure my own children as well as my students, get to see the wider world and the many people who are part of it, not just the small community where we live. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Chris, Emerald Walker is a titan. I mean, she is an actual warrior because, you know, I've I've been through situations where someone has called me a racial slur. And I and, and there are people who say these things aren't slurs because people have no problem. They say them very clearly. But I've been in situations like that being on the receiving end of that. But I have never three times in one day, let alone three times in one hour, had to go through that. So, you know, my hat's off to her for being for first of all, being able to do it uh, to contain herself and um, processing all of it. Yeah, it was a terrific interview. Um, But my question is this. So the police officer at the airport in New Orleans came up and said, after she said, look, this guy said these things to me, and he said, that is not racist. Well, then what was it? To answer the question, if that wasn't racist, what was it? A joke? No, not a joke. Insulting? Okay. But based on what reason? I mean, I, what else could it possibly be but racist? I, 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 don't, I don't know what I wish. I wish she had asked the question, well, if it wasn't racist, what was it? But I guess when, you know, it's a police officer and she's with CNN and yeah. she doesn't want to get into a, 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 you know, a big scene in the airport in New Orleans. But can you think of any? Is there another term for it besides racist? No, man. It's what your friend Doug Gansler told us in one of our very first podcasts. This is an individual, this police officer, who needs some training. He needs to understand, first of all, how you engage with people 
Um, and secondly, and, and, and this is a very, very close second, how you engage with people that have been um, attacked verbally uh, or, or otherwise, how you sympathize, empathize with people rather when, when they need your help. It, it's not for you to, to come up and to play parent. It's for you to come up and be what you're supposed to be, and that is a police officer to serve and protect people. And she was somebody, she and her producer, were people that needed protecting that day, and his remarks were not protective at all. The other story that she told about her, um, her I, was, did, you say, did you say it was her husband who started saying we need to start wearing masks and stuff in, in, yeah. in April? Yeah. And she said, whoa, I'm not walking through an airport or walking around with a mask because I'm Asian American. People are going to think that I've got coronavirus. I, I'm, um, I've been very surprised by the, um, and, and it's not because she told us that story, but we also had uh, another guest on who told us a very similar story. It's it's very surprising to me that that uh, that that exists and and it's really ignorant, um, and I think the fact that people call it I, we don't have to say who but people call it the China virus or the Chinese virus, it's just that's just silly. I mean it's 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 a virus. It's worldwide. Did it come from Wuhan, China? I guess so, but I mean who knows where all these viruses come from? They 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 where did smallpox come from? I mean you know these things happen. Um, and to call it that, and then to then look at anybody who's Asian and to think somehow that they're dangerous or they need to be put, what good does it do to say that, by the way, to somebody at an airport in, in New Orleans? What, what possible good does that do? Does that make you feel better when you go up to somebody like that and say something like that? Is that, does that make you feel like a bigger man? I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I think one of the things that we do on this program is we we give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes too much. Sometimes we, you know, some people who simply don't deserve the benefit of the doubt get it because of their behavior, you know, and the things they say and they do, which are clearly designed to injure people, designed to hurt people, Chris. You know, and, you know, I don't see... Anyway, well, we said we we said we'd be non-judgmental, so I guess we have to tread carefully here. But I know where you're going. Yeah, I mean, I am treading carefully, and and a part of being non-judgmental doesn't mean that you ignore things. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna say, okay, guy, this is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen to you as a result of what you said or what you did. Judgment. I'm not gonna do that. But recognizing it and calling it out, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, and I think, and I think for people who are listening, and the reason I said when the officer said, "Well, that's not racist," then I and I say, "Well, then what was it?" Is that think about that um, when you hear people say things, when you're in a group, when you're at work, when you're with friends, uh, when you're exchanging emails or whatever, and somebody says something that you know, a lot of us have an antenna, and if that antenna starts to quiver a little bit, then start to think, okay, what was that? And then, you know, think about why they would say that. I mean, there, there, people make jokes and I understand that sometimes a joke is just a joke, but then think about how that might be perceived on the other side of that joke. So I, I just think it's a matter of just raising people's awareness about words matter, terms matter, 
and something like whatever the heck this was that happened in the in the airport in New Orleans, it does matter because that is um, I, again that was just an extraordinary, particularly for her. I mean, she's a CNN reporter. I would think people probably would recognize her. Well, that's a part of I think why it happened. I mean, the you, truth. Oh, you do. I do. Oh, I mean, I I do think that because let's face it. I can't say for absolute certain, but I'm inclined to believe that she was not the only Asian American in that airport that day. (laughs) Okay. And I'm pretty sure that she was not the only one that these individuals had seen that day. I mean, Admiral Walker is a very striking and very recognizable figure. Uh, And, you know, some people simply are just dumb. You know, they just don't know what to do or to say when they see a person that's famous. And th- but then there are other people that are just, you know, that are just mean spirited. And let's just be clear. And she said it. It was ignorance that played a role in most of that. But still, there's absolutely no way anyone should be treated that way at any time. So, mm. again, not judging. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to those of you who listen to us, thank you. And uh, we do like to hear from you. We are available at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. We do read all your emails. We'll talk about some of them on the air. If you have suggestions for guests, if you have criticism, if you have compliments, all are welcome. And we thank you very much for listening, as always. I'm J.J. Green. And I'm Black. I'm Chris Core, And I'm White. And this his colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Talking about the big banks in America, particularly Citibank, Chase, and Bank of America, making an attempt to narrow the wealth gap. And Julie Steinberg from the Wall Street Journal, who wrote a piece about what the banks are trying to do, will join us to talk about the effort. What you have here is a thing called supply chain finance, that helps big corporate companies, say like a Boeing or Coca-Cola, pay their suppliers earlier using the help of the banks. And those suppliers tend to be smaller or medium-sized businesses. And we'll discuss with her what are the long-term efforts, what are the drawbacks, and will it really work? That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Time to go again, and we'd like to say thanks to some folks. Top of the list is Blair Cofield from CNN for helping us connect with Amara Walker. Gretchen Soren from the State University of New York for the many friends she's connected us with who've shared their stories. Mike Edwards and Thomas Warren Jr., who were on recently putting our listeners' voices into perspective. Also want to thank Hillary Howard, that magnificent voice for our show. Mike Jakaitis, Melissa Howell, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Serbino, Sanderford Walker, Tamika Ogior, Jason Richardson. We see you on Twitter. Dimitri Sotis, Ann Core, Tabitha Core, and the entire Core family, and especially Ann for her support. Also, the entire Green family for their help. And thank you, Jamal Bowens, Ellie Rowe, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and DJ Williams. And as we go, the biggest thanks is to you for listening. And remember, just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.